And we come to your word with faith that it's living like you said it is. And that when we read and study and hear under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, we encounter you and we grow in you. So Lord, we invite you right now to continue moving amongst us by your Holy Spirit and bring truth that transforms and truth that gives vision and truth that changes us so that we in turn can be your agents of change and redemption and healing for our world around us, Lord. Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen. So, you guys ready? Got a special treat. Jamie Weston is in the house, and I said, Jamie, would you come up and share a story? So, will you come up and share a story? If you don't know, Jamie Weston is um, a man who loves Jesus and is apparently is willing to take risks. Have you noticed that? Here's a mic for you. <laughs> I love this guy. Are we allowed to say the nation you just went to? Are we allowed to say yes, the name? Of course, okay, because this is okay. He sure. just got back from Pakistan. What? And I, and I read some of the stories. And, and so, Jamie, tell us. Something. Amazing, amazing time in, in Pakistan. You know, um, <clears throat> Jesus told his followers to go into all the world. He didn't say go into all the safe, comfortable parts of the world. I thought that's what he said. He said to go into all the world. And um, some years back, met some Pakistani refugees in northern Germany. Mm. And they just climbed, went right into my heart. As I began to spend time with them and others that actually many of them had been Muslims that had come to Christ. Wow. I began to see the heart of God for this people group and uh, feel it. Not just understand it, but actually yeah. feel it. And so Pakistan's the second, the second most prominent Muslim nation in the world after Saudi Arabia. And just begin to feel God calling that direction. Um, started exploring some connections there and trying some things out and took a huge risk this last time <laughs> flew all the way around the world to meet a guy that I'd only met on social media wow and uh, wasn't sure even if he'd be there to pick me up at the airport you know was really concerned and but he was there and uh, <clears throat> my trip there was I, I was wow. re re really more than I could have even imagined yeah um it was a culture that is so different from anything I've ever experienced. There's a level of darkness there that's, that I've never experienced. Wow. And the light in that darkness is brighter than possibly I've ever seen. Come on. Um, Come on. God is alive and well in Pakistan. Yeah. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness Amen. thereof. And Pakistan's part of that. And I really believe that this people group in particular is in the center of God's heart. Yeah. He's got his eye. The bullseye of heaven is on Islam. Yeah. And I believe the sickle will swing. Come on. And the harvest will come in. And I'm going to be in the middle of it. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know about you. <laughs> so we went and just had a great time. I met people. I went just to meet people and um, make some connections and explore the culture and get a sense of what it was like personally because I know that uh, much of what we read and are told is not true. And uh, I found out from my experience that 
exactly that is the case. Uh -huh. um, there are parts of Pakistan that are dangerous, as there are parts of any country that are dangerous. Terrible things go on in some parts of Pakistan to Christians. Terrible things go on in some parts of the United States to black people and Jewish people. Yeah. And uh, darkness is everywhere. But um, God's doing some amazing things there. And I met some people there that are fearless and sold out to God. Come on. And uh, I'm excited about the possibility of following up with them in the future, possibly taking a select, some select teams back and doing some more work there. So we just saw a whole bunch of, whole bunch of glory. Healings. Well, you had that like a prayer meeting or something you got invited? Yeah, so Tell us about that. In, well, in Pakistan, so the Constitution of Pakistan provides for freedom of religion. Uh -huh. But it also has, there are also laws against proselytizing. Proselytizing means telling recruit. someone about Jesus and inviting them to follow Jesus. Yeah, you can't recruit, and there are laws against, you can't defame Islam, and you can't defame the prophet. And they're very serious about those laws. So um, I don't feel like I need to defame anybody to yeah. preach the good news. Yeah. <laughs> and so um, instead of having uh, outreaches or crusades, they have prayer meetings because it's not against the law to pray. Uh -huh. So they'll coordinate a prayer meeting in a community and open it up to the community, invite everybody in to pray. They bring in some high-octane young musicians, and they do this epic music. Come on. And then they'll do a real short presentation of the gospel and then just uh, invite the Holy Spirit and move into ministry and just see all kinds of, of crazy things happen. And I got to do that. Can you believe that? So, yeah. Crazy I things mean, is um, like people. Crazy things is like demons made homeless. I like that. Um, <laughs> homeless right? demons. Yeah. There you go. So good. Homelessness is. I mean, homelessness is in God's heart, too. <laughs> <laughs> homelessness isn't always bad, depending on... <laughs> um, physical healings. Yeah. We saw um, that's a two different people that, that were paralyzed, mobilized. Awesome. Um, we saw all kinds of crazy things take place. I mean, there were, there's a whole list of things that I've, I've received reports after the fact. It's, it's very difficult to verify in that setting uh -huh. what's actually taking place because of the language barrier, because you're in a room packed, a small room, packed with people at 90 degrees. And uh, it's just not easy to communicate. But um, we've got reports back from pastors of all manner of physical healings as well as just people being mobilized and ignited in the power of God's love. Isn't that great? So, yeah. So... Good report from Pakistan. And thank you. you. You know, Grace Vineyard is a part of, a big part of my history and my today. And my relationships here are as alive and well as they've ever been. And I'm just very grateful for the chance to be with you today and, and to bring this good report. Yeah. So, thanks, Ron. Thanks, Jamie. All right. If, if you are a Facebook person, look for the the title, Activate Love. Oh, one more thing. One other thing. Listen, if you like curry, <laughs> I mean, wow, the food was astonishing. That would be important to say. 
So anyway, if, you, um, if you're a Facebook person, look for, the, look for a page called Activate Love, and also Jamie Weston's name, but I think Activate Love gets you even more with, with stories of, of what Jamie is doing around here. You'll sometimes find him with a group of people down at the beach with a little can, like a tent um, where we're, we're just inviting people to get prayer for healing. And people will just stream into the tent. Some, some of you join that. And you could talk with Jamie. He'd probably be happy to give you a little training or tell you how to pray for someone if that's new to you. And we'll, we'll see um, more people get out of wheelchairs, you know, paralyzed people mobilized and lost people found and brokenhearted people encouraged, all that sort of stuff. Uh, the, the, there's a story I'm going to read to you in a bit here in our in our time in the Word, that is very much like uh, Jamie's story. And that, that's kind of triggered me this morning. I was reading that, and I was reading your post from Pakistan recently, and thinking, oh. And then I thought to myself, wouldn't it be great if Jamie came to church today and I could sh- have him share something? And then he walked in and I went, I was kind of thinking you might come in today. <laughs> Thanks. So, listen, people. You and I were created by God for God. We were created by God and for God to live in fellowship with him by the resource of his life in us to live a joy-filled, peace-filled, creative, wonderful life on this planet, on God's planet. By the way, for eternity, this is God's planet. And he is coming back someday. Jesus is coming back and he will recreate this planet Probably better than it was in the beginning because he never, he never seems to take steps back. He always takes steps up. But at least as good as it was in the Garden of Eden. And he's going to renew and restore everything that we love about this planet. Get rid of everything that's bad about this planet. And you and I who belong to Jesus are eternal beings in his beautiful universe. And we will be forever with him being creative, being joy-filled, being peace-filled, worshiping enjoying a life together. You, you, I've taken off in some other direction than what I want to talk about. But listen, if you know Jesus, there's no bucket list because you'll never kick the bucket. Think about that. You don't need a bucket list because anything you want to do, you're going to have eternity to do it on this planet. You don't go to heaven forever in white clothes with no color anywhere floating around in the cloud. Heaven is a place that we go to When we die now, as an intermediate place, until the day that Jesus comes back to this earth and brings all of us that are in heaven with him back to this earth. So I don't know if I just messed with your theology that you got somewhere. But that's what the Bible teaches. And if you thought it was like, you get, it sounds kind of boring to go to heaven, forget about that. (laughs) You like hiking? You're going to really like hiking in the new creation. You like making music? You're going to really like making music in the new creation. In any case, we were created by God, for God, to enjoy God from the life of God in this creative, peaceful, joyful, wonderful way. But as you know, I think you know, but I'll just say it. This is part of the gospel story. The bad news side is that because of our sin, individually and corporately, fellowship with God has been broken. Right? And Jesus came. The good news is that Jesus came because no matter how hard we as people try to build a bridge to 
um, to go across the chasm that our sin has produced between us and God and the life he wants for us, we can't build that bridge. We can't build it with religion. We can't build it with philosophy. The last century proves very well that we can't build it with technology. The most bloody century on our planet so far, with all of our you know, social evolution, apparently didn't work out very well. But Jesus came died on a cross, rose from the dead to pay for our sins and to make a way so that we could be back in relationship with God and we can, by turning to Jesus, begin the new life in him. And we can be turned to that creative, joy-filled, peace-filled, wonderful life that he's established for us. If you're here and you haven't given your life to Jesus, what are you waiting for? Choose life, right? Choose, I mean, you chose life, Michelle? Good choice, huh? And you entered into new life. So that, pro that, that moment is typically called salvation. But uh, we, after, as we live out the salvation, we keep growing in Christ. We're studying the Bible together here to grow in Christ. We're growing as disciples. That's why you've come. And I think that's why you've come. And... We are studying together right now a portion of the Bible called Philippians, a letter to a group of Christians, probably not very much unlike us, um, in a city called Philippi, um, that Paul had led to Christ and as a result established a church, a gathering of people like this, um, probably mostly met in homes in that situation. And they were going through some various victories and struggles. Paul was writing from prison, as I've told you in past weeks. They also were having some suffering. And by the way, if you would like to pick up any of the things we've talked about in the past weeks, we have a podcast on gracetalks.org. It's called gracetalks.org, and you can hear pretty much anything we've done before. But as I was preparing and thinking about a particular verse that we're going to read today, a particular verse that says God is at work in you to give you the will and the desire and the power to do the things that please him. I was reminded of a time when in Jesus' story, uh, when he was doing his ministry on the earth, he sent out his disciples, empowered by himself and the power of the Holy Spirit, to do the very things that Jesus has been doing. And that's what reminded me of, of Jamie's story. And, and the the result was great joy for Jesus. So as before we get to the Philippians verse, I want to read this little story from Luke to get our minds around this idea of living in a way that, that makes the Father smile. Did you know, by the way, Proverbs 10 says this, A wise son brings joy to his father. A wise son brings joy to his father. And we can be the kinds of sons and daughters that live in a way that puts a smile on our father's face. Does that kind of make you interested? That really makes me like really, really intrigued that I might live today in a way that my father in heaven is smiling. So here's the story. Uh, Luke 10, it's in your notes. It's probably on the screen. After this, after some things that the Lord was doing, Jesus is the Lord, he appointed 72 others. So these are disciples, followers of Jesus. They don't get names. They're just 72 others. That's about like us. He sent them two by two ahead of him to every town and place where he's about to go to. Do the math. How many cities was he about to go visit? 36. 
See how that works? Math, 72 divided by 2 is 36. <laughs> He's going around the towns. He told them the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Go, I'm sending you out like, I don't like this part, but this would apply to dangerous places like lambs among wolves. When you get there, heal sick people. Tell them the kingdom of God is near them. Do you know how we talk about holy hellos? This is that. If you don't, if you're not around us very often, we talk about every time you and I, if, if we are followers of Jesus, the Spirit of God is in us. Every time we meet someone, it's pregnant with possibility that God is going to meet them as we meet them. So we say hello with expectation. It causes me to say hello to people wondering, is this another one? So I call it a holy hello. Actually, I took that language from Alan Scott up in Anaheim. And many of you have been telling me stories of holy hellos. Keep your holy hello stories going. You say hello with the expectation that the kingdom of God is near. And you say hello expecting that God's going to draw some people to enter into conversation with you. Somehow they're going to be drawn to you. And before you know it, as you, in a friendly way, pregnant with expectation, praying, speak to someone... Next thing you know, they start telling you their problems. Has that happened to anyone? Yeah, a lot of you. The rest of you start saying hello more. Be friendly. Watch what happens. Because you have in you the possibility, you have in you the answer to their problem because you have in you God the Holy Spirit. So step out and risk, sometimes like a lamb among wolves, Say hello, and next thing you know, there's a problem in front of you. Now someone's exposed their heart by sharing a problem, and you have an answer. You say something like this. You know, I think God would like to help you. May I pray for you? That's like saying the kingdom of God has come near you. I think God may like to help you, could help you, would help you, is in a sense, without religious terminology, saying the reign and rule of God has come near you right now. And you're knowing that when I pray for this person, God's Spirit is going to come upon them and begin to work change in their life and healing in their lives. So anyway, go out and do holy hellos, he says. And then it says this, the 72 returned with joy. They went, they did it, and great stuff happened. They took the risk. And they said, oh my gosh, Jesus, you can't believe it. Even the demons are subject to us. In your name, we made some demons homeless. Jesus replied, watch Jesus reply. He goes, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. When you and I do the works of the kingdom, it dethrones Satan in the lives of people that he's trying to destroy and enthrones Jesus in their lives. I saw Satan falling like lightning from heaven. That's what that means. I saw him dethroned. I have given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and to overcome all the power of the enemy. These are 72 nameless followers of Jesus. And I'm telling you here today, if you follow Jesus, Jesus has given you authority over all the works of the enemy. Jesus has given you authority over all the works of the enemy. That ought to empower your holy hello. <laughs> However, 
Don't rejoice that the demons are subject to you. You'd get your focus wrong. Instead, rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Think about your relationship with me and our eternal future together. At that time, here's the, here's the, the fun ending that I want to get to. At that time, Jesus, full of joy. Do you picture Jesus as solemn? Sullen? Solemn? I can't, I mixed two words. That was a mashup. Solemn and sullen make sullen. <laughs> Do you picture Jesus as kind of like, You know, take my yoke upon you. <laughs> you know you're going through hard times because I'm trying to teach you a lesson. <laughs> Full of joy. Through, I, that's another topic I'll get into later. Full of joy through the Holy Spirit. said, I praise you, Father. Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from wise and learned men, which was not exactly a compliment to the 72, <laughs> and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, this was your good pleasure. What's happening here is people are going out and doing the things that fills the Father with good, joyful pleasure. And that's what we're going to get to. Here's the verse in the section that we're going to read that says all that, and then I'll get back and and read it all in context. This good? So, so Philippians 2, 12 and 13. This is from the living, New Living Translation. Later we'll read it from the New International Version. Dear friends, you always followed my instructions when I was with you. This is that church in Philippi. And now that I'm away, it's even more important. Remember, he's writing from prison. Work hard to show the results of your salvation. Obeying God with deep reverence and fear. For, this is, the, this is this, uh, the cherry on top of the ice cream right here. For God is working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases him. I mean, that's, we could just stop right there. Is that not good enough? God, so wait a minute. Some of you have come to Jesus and you are certain that he saved you from your sin. You are certain that he died and that he rose from the dead and that he had then ascended to the Father and poured out the Holy Spirit. You are absolutely convinced you know that's true. But you're not absolutely convinced that that same God who saved you in that way is saving you right now by working in you his will and his power to do the things that please him. That is why it's no risk to take a risk. You see that? If I know that God is working in me the desire, the will, and the power to do the things that please him, then when I hear the call in my heart to do the thing that pleases him that I'm certain I don't have it in me to do, I don't need to look at me to see if I have it in me to do because he's in me making me will and empowering me to do those things that please him. Did you get that? That's good news. Uh, by the way, theologically people call this whole process sanctification. If you ever heard that word and wonder what that means, sanctification, what does that mean? That means living out the thing that God's already put in you. And it's a process through our whole lives. It's becoming more like Jesus in our character and becoming more like Jesus in our works, in what our hands do, in our having enough boldness to encourage the down 
downtrodden, to feed the hungry sometimes with more than we have to give, to heal the sick when we have no healing ability at all and we're not a doctor, but we come in faith and God is at work in us to will and to do of his good pleasure, which may mean healing a sick person or driving out an evil spirit. That sounds risky for some of you. Sounds risky to me. God's at work in me. So rejoice and fear not. Okay, so I'm going, this, the section of scripture that that's in is this whole section from chapter 2. That's why I said you might want to open your Bibles or it'll be on the screen too. Around verse 5 all the way down to verse 18. And the first thing I did, I've been studying and reading and thinking and I tried to boil that down into, that section down into three points for us today. So I'm going to give you that and then back up time Time permitting, we'll, we'll read through the whole section and talk about it some more. Unravel it and just learn about the ways of God. So here's my take on three, three summary points of this whole section of Scripture. The first one is that in order to live out New Testament Christianity, I have to commit myself to humble, other-centered relationship in the church. And to partnership with the church to do the mission of Jesus. Two things, relationship and partnership. And I've said that to you two weeks ago, something like that. But it's, I think it's worth repeating. I'm hearing this over and over as I'm reading Paul's letter to the Philippians. I don't know if you're doing like me. I keep reading it over and over. You can read the whole thing in like five minutes. It's like two pages, two and a half pages. It's not a big book, people. Open up your Bible, open up your iPad or your phone on, you know, your Bible app and, and read it. And I, I'm finding that Paul seems to be saying the same thing over and over. So the first thing is, listen, the way it works to be obedient to Christ, he uses the language of obedient. Commit yourself to relationship with each other that's humble and other-centered. And commit yourself to the partnership of standing as one person, united defending, standing up for, contending for, is the language he uses, the gospel, the faith of the gospel. Second, and this is a major part that we'll read, Jesus Christ himself modeled this kind of living for us. And it pleases God when we live like this. And we can do it because he's the one who gives us the desire and the will and the power to do it. We can live out the commitments of relationship and mission together. And, We'll see this one particular moment in the text when we read it. The reality of this, that God, the creator of heaven and earth, is in me, ought to so astound me that I tremble in awe. I ought not to take it for granted, just like, ah, yeah, that's good. But, but wow, I'm about to go serve God, and he's in me, giving me the desire to do it and the power to do the thing that I'm going to do. I can't believe it. I'm almost shaking. I'm in awe of my God. And then thirdly, the faith-filled pursuit of this life. That is, when I pursue something with faith that I haven't done yet, looking forward to it. The faith-filled pursuit of this life together and the progressive experience of it. That is, I'm taking steps with you and me and we're starting to live this life and something has just happened and we pause and we look back at what God just did. Looking back at what he's done. Those two, faith-filled pursuit and the progressive experience of it fulfilled in our lives makes us rejoice with courage to go again. Courageous joy. 
follow all that? Was that too much? Too many big, big chunks to chew on? Number one, relationship and purpose. Number two, Jesus modeled it and empowers us to do it. Number three, there's great joy when we look to it in faith and look back at it in joy and thankfulness for what he's done. So now let's put that all together and, and read this together. So the first, the first thought is that Jesus is both the model and means for living this life. You know what I mean by means? He's the, he's the resource. He shows us how to live and then empowers us to live. Um, at the tail end of the first chapter, he, Paul wrote, you know, you all conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel. Stand united like you're one person contending for the faith. Do nothing out of selfish ambition. In humility, consider others more than you consider yourself. Don't think just about your own interests. Think about the interests of others. This is how I want you to obey me. This is commitment to relationship that's humble and other-centered. And it's a purpose. Stand united for the gospel. And, here's the part we're reading together, have this mind in you which was also in Christ Jesus. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, we read this last week, but it's so worth repeating again and again, the story of Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. Rather, he let his hands loose and made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant. This is how I'm supposed to think and how I'm supposed to live. Being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as man, he humbled himself. He became obedient to death. Not even just death, but the worst kind of death. Even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee would bow in heaven. All the angelic hosts and on earth, all the people that live and under the earth, all the people that have already passed on, that they would with one mouth and one voice confess that Jesus is the Lord. The word Lord there in the Greek is the word that's translated from the Hebrew for Yahweh, Kyrios. I should slow down and say that again. The, the Hebrew Bible refers to the name of the one true God, Yahweh. When that word is translated into the Greek translation of the Bible that the Jews in the first century were using, the Septuagint, they used the word Kyrios, Lord. It comes across in English, and that's the language that Jesus is, in fact, Yahweh, but also to the glory of the Father, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, three in one, the Almighty One, the Everlasting One, the only true God. Jesus is that one. And all of the earth and all of the heavens and those under the earth will in the end day proclaim that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. So just check out a few points here. God is love and he expresses his love to us in self-sacrifice for us whom he loves. And we should live that way. We also are to love each other and sacrifice ourselves for each other. We can also take the fact of this mindset of humility results in exaltation by God. Here's a couple of scriptures and I'll say something about that. James 4 says, humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. First Peter writes, clothe yourself with humility toward one another. That's a big deal in our culture. Clothe yourself with humility toward one another because God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the God's mighty hand or the mighty hand of God, that he may lift you up in due time. 
In other words, you don't even have to worry that you lose something when you humble yourself. When you humble yourself, in reality, you have no desire anymore for exaltation because you've humbled yourself. And when you get to that point, it turns out that God says, okay, I'll lift you up. It's like you can't lose. You, you, in God, you can't lose. You know, you've heard it said you cannot give him. You cannot give him. You cannot serve him. You cannot love him. You cannot humble him. <laughs> when, this is the way to the truly good life. The truly good life is not grasping for your rights and clawing to get your way to the top of the heap that never fulfills your heart. But when you don't grasp, you let go of your rights, you serve others in humility, you sacrifice, that's where you get to the top of the heap. <laughs> the, the greatest among you will be the servant of all. It's really remarkable. Upside down kingdom. So, with that thought in mind, Paul says this next phrase, therefore, knowing that your mind should be like Jesus who humbled himself and then God raised him up, my dear friends, if you've always obeyed, this is what we read before, but now in another translation. Not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good pleasure. Now, his good purpose, his good pleasure, both are good translations. In fact, pleasure is actually a better translation. You and I are programmed to think individualistically. Almost all of the New Testament is written in the context of the community of faith. This is written to the community. So New Testament scholar Gordon Fee says this, obedience in this case, he just said obey, takes the form of work out your salvation, meaning in your relationships with one another, live out the salvation that Christ has brought to you. That would, yes, include that my personal life, working out character and all, is true and called for, but in working that out to the end that I'm working it out with you in relationship. This is why it is impossible to live according to New Testament Christianity with the very prevalent attitude in our culture right now that says, I'm done with the church. Millions of people that claim the name of Christ in America, have said, I'm done with church. I like Jesus, but I don't like the church. I don't need them. It's just me and Jesus, and I'll be fine. And you cannot live out much, if any, of the New Testament with that mindset. If you get to the point, which you'll be tempted to, I can almost guarantee you, the day you get to know me well enough that I offend you, Then you, then, then you go outside and you go, the church. I've had it with the church. You've heard this one, I'm sick of the politics. What does that mean? Well, if you have a group of people, sometimes decisions have to be made. Right? We decided to take communion this morning, for example. We decided to see. Sometimes decisions have to be made, and the process by which decisions are made is called politics. 
and people go, I don't like the way they made that decision. So I'm done. The church. I could go off on a tangent here, huh? How I come back around. Um, when you are going through a depression, how much of the time are you tempted to isolate? When are you going through a discouraging time? How much of the time are you tempted to withdraw from the body of Christ? Listen, if you're discouraged, if you're depressed, if something's going wrong in your marriage, if you're concerned about your children, if you have an addiction that you are not in control of, because no one's in control of addiction, by the way, that's the secret. <laughs> do you, do you from that place say, I've got to get together with the body of Christ? Is there a meeting somewhere in someone's house tonight? Is there a church service somewhere? I've got to be with the church. Or do you say, oh, the church. I'm going to go be by myself. Because you got hurt by the way someone treated you. And that's reality. Real Christians do real stupid mean stuff to each other. And sometimes the only healthy thing is to leave a particular group when it's gotten too toxic. That's actually the truth. It's not always the case. The first step is always to go into relationship and try to work it out. The first step is always to forgive as Jesus forgave you. The first step is always to confront in kindness and love, but in truth and grace. Do everything without complaining or arguing, right? So many complaints or arguments as to why you can separate yourself from the body of Christ. But the next phrase is do everything without complaining or argument so that you may become blameless and pure children of God without fault in a crooked and depraved generation in which you shine like stars in the universe. What exalted language as you hold out the word of life. In order, Paul says, that I may boast on the day of Christ that I have not run or labored for nothing what I did was by the will of God and by the power of God for God's good pleasure. And as you live out this, my friends in Philippi, we will experience together the joy of God's work in you. But do all these things in your relationship with each other without complaining and arguing, because complaining and arguing results in disunity, and that destroys our witness in the world. You know, people watch us. People that don't follow Jesus say, well, how can... That'd be a good way to follow. Look at them all. They're fighting each other. They're talking about each other. They gossip against each other. They say they're the only right way and the other way is the wrong way. And they look how they treat each other. Paul says, don't do that. Get rid of complaining. Get rid of arguing. In humility, consider others better than yourselves. Get rid of selfish ambition. Get rid of vain conceit. But pour yourselves into relationship and then into purpose together. The purpose and the mission of Jesus He's also emphasizing again in his letter the prayer that he started with that I want to read again. This is my prayer, verse 9 of chapter 1. That your love, your love for each other, may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight so that you may be able to discern what is the best and may be pure and blameless on the day of Christ. Do you hear that same language that we just read? 
filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ, the glory and praise of God. So, I'm, I'm thinking of, last week you might have been with us and Eddie and Bethany were here. They're still in the States, by the way. They should roll back through in August. Our friends that are missionaries in Cambodia. But I'm thinking of the multiple times that Eddie and I spent time committed to relationship and the purposes of God and facing a lot of discouragement when he was our youth pastor here. I think he had like five junior high girls in his group who didn't get along with each other. And he'd come every week, Ron, I'm so, it was terrible, he'd say. And he'd tell me a story, and, and I'd find something that was good that happened. I'd say, that really happened? You know, that's awesome. You prayed together? Wow. You know, and you're like, oh, I feel better. Thank you. And we, we kept plowing away. As, as a result of the seeds that were laid in that season, when Christian came along and he continued the work, we now have this thriving, flourishing group of, what do they say, about 40 kids that come together, coming to Christ. Some are being fed, that are living in homes that don't have food. They're, they're, they're learning to worship. And they're having lives changed relationship and purpose that we're now rejoicing about. And then, you know, out of that kind of relationship and pursuing God together, he told you the story of how I encouraged him to go get that woman and marry her, and he married Bethany. And, and then next thing he knows, they're called to the mission field, and hundreds of Cambodians are coming to Christ and having their lives changed. And we're rejoicing. That's this story being lived out. There's several of you that I meet with pretty frequently, for relationship with each other and prayer together around the purposes of Christ. And lo and behold, it's God who's at work in us to will and to do the things that please him. This, I'm, I'm wrapping this up, believe it or not, <laughs> this Bible study. It's worth noting, especially for you that love to study the Bible, it's great to see the connections. Paul is fluent in the Hebrew Scriptures. And all through his writings, he's echoing things that are from the Old Covenant. And he is absolutely quoting from Daniel right now, and I just want to read that. Daniel writes this. Daniel, the prophet, speaking of the end times when Jesus would come, those who are wise will shine like the brightness of the heavens. Hear that? We just read that. And those who lead many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. Remember when he said, you'll shine like stars in the universe. It's a fulfillment of the prophecy of Daniel when you and I and our holy hellos, you know, when we are leading people to become followers of Jesus, in whom is righteousness. We look to the cross. Our sin goes on Jesus. His righteousness comes on us. When we declare that, here's how God sees you. You're like a star shining in the universe. That ought to make you tremble. In awe. This is how he sees us. Final verses, 17 and 18. Even if I'm poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I'm glad and rejoice. Remember, he's writing to a people who are suffering. Their suffering is like a sacrifice. He is himself in prison, possibly going to be executed, in which case he would be like a drink offering which is poured out on the other sacrifice. He said, even if that's the case, I'm rejoicing because look what God is doing in you and in me. I have joy and I have peace because of the work of God being worked in me that pleases God. And it's a great way to live.
one final verse for us that you may recognize. It's another Old Testament scripture. Paul's using this same kind of language when he says, but I'll rejoice. Habakkuk, which is a fun name to say. Habakkuk? Habakkuk. Does anyone name their kids Habakkuk anymore? (laughs) Honey, what should we name our son? How about Habakkuk? Nah, let's go with Bryce. (laughs) Habakkuk in his three-chapter prophetic word ends with these kind of words. Look, though the fig tree, he's a farmer, doesn't bud. And there are no grapes on the vines, though the olive crop fails. In other words, we're in a drought time. The fields produce no food. There are no sheep in the pen, no cattle in the stalls, no money in the bank account, no gas in the car, no food in the pantry. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Savior. The Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. Have you ever seen a deer that can run up the mountain? He, you see how fast a deer takes off when they take off in fear? He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. He enables me to go on to the heights. So I'm going to rejoice. Last week when we were worshiping and waiting before the Lord, I felt like the Lord said, well, if you're not going to worship me now, when are you going to start? And I almost got up to say it to you all. Because if you wait to worship and praise God Tell the good stuff has already happened. You've waited too long and you've missed out. The time to worship is now when you're raising your hallelujah in the presence of your enemies. 